0: To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Tuesday, August 2nd. I'm Zeke Robison. Today we're talking about how U.S. testing capacity for monkeypox has ramped up, but the process is ponderous and not everyone who needs a test is getting one. Make sure to listen to the end to find out what other Wired podcasts you can check out today. When the first case of monkeypox was confirmed in the United States, the country's public health laboratories had the ability to run 6,000 tests per week. That was way more capacity than needed. Until monkeypox started spreading faster than public health officials had anticipated, there are now approximately 5,000 confirmed cases in the U.S., for patients, testing is crucial because a positive result is needed for accessing TPOX, an antiviral medication that is being used off-label to treat monkeypox. Having a test result is a self-advocacy tool, says Coletzo McCoffane, an HIV epidemiologist at the FXB Center for Human Health and Human Rights at Harvard University. If you don't have a test result, you don't have evidence of your condition. Testing has since expanded to around 80,000 tests per week after five large commercial laboratories partnered with the federal government to boost the nation's testing efforts. But while the ability to run more tests has improved, there are still barriers that prevent people from accessing them. And although states are required to report cases of certain diseases, monkeypox isn't one of them. That makes it difficult for public health officials to gauge the true size of the outbreak and who the disease is infecting in order to break the chains of transmission. One piece of information that we're missing is how many tests are actually being run and what the percent positivity is, says Caitlin Rivers, an infectious disease epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. If we had those metrics, we would have a better understanding of how much our existing capacity is being used and whether it's reaching enough people to be able to say confidently that we're finding most cases. Testing was initially slow to ramp up, in part because public health officials didn't expect monkeypox to spread as quickly as it has. We initially anticipated that demand would be low because monkeypox transmission in humans tends to be very limited, says William Maurice, president of the Mayo Clinic Laboratories and chair of the board of directors for the American Clinical Laboratory Association. Despite its name, monkeypox is primarily carried by rodents, including tree squirrels and rats. Previously, the biggest outbreak in the U.S. was in 2003, when 47 people in six states, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Missouri, Ohio, and Wisconsin, got the disease after having contact with infected pet prairie dogs that were housed near imported small mammals from Ghana. Unlike with COVID-19, which was a completely new disease, the U.S. already had a test for orthopox viruses, the family of viruses that includes monkeypox and smallpox. That meant the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention didn't have to start developing a new test from scratch, something that hampered testing in the early days of the COVID pandemic. A design flaw in the kits that the CDC mailed out to public health labs in February 2020 meant that early COVID-19 tests had a high failure rate. But while a monkeypox test already existed, it required lab workers to do each step by hand, Maurice says. Federal guidelines say testing should be done only by swabbing the lesions of a person suspected to have the virus. These lesions look like pimples or blisters and can appear on the face, hands, feet, around the genitals or anus, and inside the mouth or rectum. Then the swabbed samples undergo a PCR or polymerase chain reaction test, which involves extracting genetic material and amplifying it to look for the presence of monkeypox virus's DNA. When done manually, it means multiple steps of adding fluid, mixing reagents together, and isolating the DNA. That makes testing slow going. Commercial labs like the Mayo Clinic have been working to automate the process. Until recently, the clinic was able to process only 20 to 30 tests a day using the manual protocol, but soon it will be able to run several hundred tests a day, says Maurice. This kind of test raises some other issues, too. The current tests force you to swab a lesion. For people with internal lesions, that might not be possible, or it's very painful, McCoffane says. A monkeypox test can't be given until a person has visible symptoms, and it can take several days for a rash to appear. Some people may have very subtle or very few lesions. While it's not clear if the disease can spread before the blisters form, Rivers says it would be better to catch an infection earlier on so that people can access treatment and vaccines as soon as possible. For the best chance of preventing the onset of the disease, the CDC says the vaccine should be given within four days from the date of exposure. Like COVID-19 testing in the early days of the pandemic, monkeypox tests must be ordered by a physician. Morais says many doctors might not know to test for monkeypox because it's such a new disease in the U.S., or they may not consider referring patients who are not in what they think of as at-risk populations. While most cases have been in men who have sex with men, not all are. For example, health officials in Indiana have reported that around 20% of the state's cases have been in women, and two infections in the U.S. have been identified in children. Financial constraints, stigmatization, and lack of insurance or transportation to testing sites can also be barriers that keep some people with symptoms from seeking testing. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration says monkeypox should be diagnosed only by swabbing lesions. But a study published in June by researchers in Spain points to other possible ways of testing for the virus. They detected monkeypox viral DNA in both saliva and semen samples from 12 patients with a confirmed infection. The idea is already being pursued by Flow Health, a California company that has been offering COVID-19 testing. The company is working on a monkeypox test that requires a person to spit into a plastic tube. Then lab workers perform a PCR test, extracting and amplifying viral DNA from the sample. CEO Alex Meshkin says that a saliva-based test could have benefits. For example, it could enable screening for pre-symptomatic cases, something that's been critical for COVID-19 testing. It could also be done at a pharmacy, mass testing site, or even at home, avoiding the possible embarrassment of seeing a medical provider. Relying on a lesion swab that is painful and invasive and can only really be done in a clinic will inherently have a fairly low demand because of the roadblocks of traditional healthcare, care, Meshkin says. But in a safety communication issued July 15, the FDA warned that testing samples that are not taken from a lesion could lead to false results. The agency noted that it is not aware of clinical data supporting the use of other sample types, such as blood or saliva. Rivers says it should be a research priority to develop other modalities so that testing can reach as many people as possible. It's important to determine whether testing oral fluids, for example, is just as accurate as swabbing of lesions. Make sure to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today in Wired Business, we look at why Google sued the descendants of a railroad tycoon and a civil war general. Checking in on Wired Science, the ring vaccination strategy beats smallpox. Could it work for monkeypox? And on Wired Security, we delve into how Tor is fighting and beating Russian censorship. Listen to these stories and more at Wired.com/slash podcasts. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from Wired.com. Wanna learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast.